That is a five-minute dump, but I'm quite liking that um, little feature I just dropped on you. I just dumped on you, Duanna. <laughs> I, I like the concept. We're going to workshop the name. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder and editor of LaineyGossip.com. I am also a talk show host and an entertainment reporter and... I think I'm going to have to start doing my own nails. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a TV writer and producer. And working from home and podcasting from home has gotten me no extra time. I don't know where it's going, but it's not here with me. On today's episode, I surprised Duanna with a sport in quotes that I don't think she expected to talk about ever how I might be fascinated by it and why it relates to your favorite Netflix hit of the year. We'll get into that. And then Oprah's new series and whether or not the Oprah interview still matters. And does it matter depending on where it comes from? We will tell you about what happened to make me finally fall in love with Instagram and why D-Nice is hosting the most improbable, most exciting star-studded parties of 2020. Also, I take a five-minute dump. This is Show Your Work. I know that this is the last thing that you expected me to bring up with you today, but I want to talk to you about wrestling. (laughs) Um... Okay, you know what? You got me. I thought that nothing could surprise me more than the link between William Shatner and BTS that you told me about last night, but you have managed to do it. You have surprised me. Tell me about wrestling. I'm happy to talk about William Shatner so I can talk about BTS, but uh, last week on the podcast, we talked about how, um, in particular, live television shows are working around the lockdowns and social distancing without audiences, without live audiences. Right. WWE, and super creative. WWE is now doing their matches, performances, shows without a live audience. And it's been fascinating to see the reaction online because even though they don't have an in-house audience, As we all know, the WWE is one of the most lucrative, big audience properties, at least in North America. Like they consistently rank right up at there in the top 10 or even top five for most viewed events of the year alongside like the Super Bowl. So it's established, right? We know there's a fuckload of people watching the WWE. Yeah, and I know that one of their canceled events is the most heartbreaking of the entire pandemic. 
right? Like people who are going to miss WrestleMania are more devastated than almost anybody else. Like people's weddings have been canceled with less angst. <laughs> yes. So imagine like, so we, last week we were talking about, you know, in a television studio, the sound issues when you don't have an audience and how you kind of have to fill shots because you can't pan to the audience. And imagine, like, in <laughs> you've watched a little bit of wrestling, right? Like, you know I what know, it looks like. I know like. how wrestling works. I get it. I've seen it. Yes. Yeah. So it's a really, it's, you know, it's really bizarre. Like, they still do their performances pre-match. Like, before they get into the ring, they still do, like, the growling at each other. And when they shout and they, like, kind of trade insults and all that business. And that kind of still works. But then what happens is that during the matches themselves, when you can't hear the roar of the crowd, you're hearing sounds that are normally muffled, like how the mat sounds and how, like, I I know already, like, they play up the flesh slapping sounds. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. But, but that's typically enhanced, almost like a CGI effect when there's an audience. But then when it comes out raw, haha, no pun intended, um, but when it comes out raw and you're hearing like flesh slapping and thumps on the mat, it's a bizarre experience. Well, I mean, uh, first of all, I should say, and I think I did say that I, I like this because as much as we know that WWE is, as you say, it's a performance, it's a, it's a show anyway, let's say that, yes. right? Um, that they're working hard to bring you a performance, right? Uh, one of the things that we haven't mentioned in terms of binge watching, if you haven't been binge watching already, is catch up on GLOW, guys, because GLOW, i.e. Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling uh, on Netflix, does a lot in this space, which is really fun. But also the sound, what did you say? Flesh smack? Flesh um, slapping. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's less flesh, but the sounds of bodies on bodies and mats is arguably what I enjoyed most about cheer. Like, there may never be another television awards ceremony uh, in the recent future or in the foreseeable future, but yeah, um, I, I really think that they should get uh, an award for sound design. So uh, if there's now crossover between WWE and cheer, then I'm really here for that. Oh, you just made me like wonder about whether or not things will be okay by like the Emmys in September. So Jerry can go to the Emmys. I don't know yet. But speaking of, here's my other question about the WWE. Um, again, I'm not following it closely, but I know that wrestling involves, by necessity, like human contact, right? Yep. So what do you think their agreements are among the performers? Like, I mean, look, uh, we all understand, like, if your family member who you live with happens to be susceptible to something, like, there's a chance that you are going to cross uh, pollinate to one another, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think these wrestlers are, what are they doing? Are they wrestling in masks? 
because that would be really exciting. Uh, like luchadors, <laughs> but for everybody. Well, sometimes masks are part of the costume. Sure, Not all but of like, them. I don't, yeah, I don't think a gorilla mask is going to like protect you uh, <laughs> in a sanitary fashion. No, I, that's a good question. I, I don't know if it's a case of they've all been tested, like, and it's come back negative. And then there are strict rules about when they're not performing or like in between shows, for example, who they can come in contact with. I don't know. Um, what you just said, basically, is I just want to lay this out for you. What you just said is basically it's a reality show or jury duty. <laughs> and when they're not wrestling, they are sequestered in a hotel room. Yeah, I would imagine so, because I think now more than ever with the WWE, especially they charge like when I talk about how popular it is, you have to remember, like most of the, or sorry, some of their programming is pay-per-view, right? Yeah, sure. Which means that so many people are paying extra. Like when you watch the Super Bowl, all those whatever millions and millions of people tune in because it's already on their TV. When it comes to fans of WWE, they're like fucking doing the pay-per-view thing and paying, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 bucks at a time. And that's thousands of people. Um, And you also figure that right now when lots of people hopefully are staying home and they're just watching TV. They're going to need their wrestling. So I don't know. Wrestling might be Corona proof, coronavirus proof. Okay. I mean, look, we are constantly shocked by um, the email signatures on the emails that come into us, the areas of expertise that you guys have. If you have insider knowledge on how wrestling is being safe, like uh, for example, a, uh, not to conflate the two, but in the adult film industry, there are lots of really public stringent processes about how that works on a daily basis, not in this new reality. But if you know something about the health testing of wrestlers, we would love to hear. Yes. Thank you. And now Duanna, where you weren't expecting to go and see, you are now even more curious than you thought you would ever be. I mean, drop me a mystery and I'll get in no matter what. All right, let's get started on our schedule, our topics for this episode. Um, And a lot of what we're talking about in terms of work is related to the effect that COVID-19 has had on the entertainment industry because, as we established over the last couple of episodes, work processes have had to change. Um, Everybody is working differently right now including Oprah. Yeah, I mean, here's the reality. Nothing in the world has been untouched by Corona, just about, right? Maybe if you have a healthy board game podcast or uh, or you're working on, I don't know, um, like a Lego design, then you are, even then, nobody is unaffected. So every story is, of course, about how this is changing our world, right? That's right. And so, of course, Oprah being the storyteller, the television storyteller of a certain time, she's now telling stories about how lives are changing because of COVID-19 and lockdown, social distancing, isolation, and all of that. And she happens to have a deal with Apple, so she's got the tech behind her. Um, And so 
a few days ago, she launched the first episode of her series, I guess. Um, and her her first guests were um, Idris Elba and his wife, Sabrina. Now, to be clear, she already had this deal. This is sort of, uh, the show was meant to be on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, not quite Super Soul Sundays, but a version of a straight-up talk show uh, similar to what she'd had on OWN. That was the idea behind what she was going to be doing with Apple TV+. Yeah, and, you know, last year when Apple TV+, made their big announcement, and you remember all these filmmakers and artists showed up in the short film, and we were like, wow, what a convention. Oprah was one of the big names, right? She was on stage. She was talking about what this deal meant to her. Obviously, this is not how anyone intended it to roll out, but they were like, yeah, Oprah's voice is, you know, more than ever. She's going to be the one to tell these stories. So what we got was the first installment. Of course, Oprah's not going to have any difficulty securing guests. No, for sure. I mean, that's not a concern, but I I love that you brought up this is not the way we intended because often when there are these deals announced, these overall creative deals, that's sometimes all you hear for months or even years because part of the luxury of having a deal is that you can wait until the moment is right that had this not happened, Oprah and her team might have waited until 2021 to put out the optimal Oprah plus Apple product, but these are different times. Yeah, and the product that is now getting put out is about, visually at least, the most un-Oprah thing we could have expected. Well, let's get specific about that because the word you used was gorilla. Um, and I love the idea of that, uh, that it is, uh, from isolation, you know, the most bare bones of whatever. On the one hand, that doesn't sound like Oprah at all. You're right. On the other hand, uh, as you know, I love to reference Oprah's 25th season behind the scenes when the documentary crew followed her and she was very surprisingly unveiled about the way that she appeared on that show, no makeup, in her sweats, they're always a shade of oatmeal. Uh, so I'm curious about which version of Oprah we got here. I wouldn't say that we got um, the 25th season Oprah in the sense of even though it was like Oprah in her natural habitat kind of thing, it was still slick. Right. And in terms of the way it was packaged? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could tell okay. that there was production value there. You know what I mean? Right. Which now, gloriously is... What's that? I was going to say, which, you know, gloriously, production value is one of those things that can be done in isolation. Yes and no. I mean, maybe it's because Idris is in isolation. He has tested positive for COVID-19 and now his wife has too. But... It was basically like the way that your parents crowd around the camera and talk to you on FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you can picture them saying, can you see me? Am I in? Am I, um, am I in? Um, and so, yeah, like that's 
actually how people are communicating now. But I don't know, maybe I'm getting into my next point too early. The thing about these times is celebrities are already doing that kind of communicating with their fans and the public on their own social media channels. I read this amazing tweet. A friend sent it to me the other day by um, Bridget uh, Fetacy. And Bridget tweeted, I never realized exactly how much attention celebrities craved until they were locked up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which is kind of the point of Lainey Gossip. And we talk about it all the time, like about how the complaints about paparazzi are really half-hearted. But what I'm trying to say is if you open Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or whatever, celebrities all up and down all over the place are already shooting themselves like this, the way Oprah was talking to Idris and Sabrina. And they're telling their own stories. They're like, hey, like Andy Cohen, right? Hey, I tested positive. Hey, I'm not feeling well. Hey, this is where I did today. I did whatever. Um, so Oprah's new series just looks like your everyday Instagram feed. Well, look, we, you and I and some friends of ours had an, a bit of a, an argument the other night about whether or not entertainment as a whole is going to change. People already watch. Look, when I was coming up in TV, when you and I were coming up, part of the point of all the equipment and all the whatever is that uh, it makes it look professional right? It makes it look and sound polished that there's production value. That is the term that you use. And yet, what broadcast or heavily produced products people watch, they watch on their phones or tablets anyway. They are used to consuming that more guerrilla style uh, content that you're talking about courtesy of Idris and by the way while you were talking I also took a picture of you uh on my FaceTime screen because you are yourself doing a bit of uh parent face at me which is to say uh your phone is Skyping from the floor of the table so that I mostly can see your beautiful chin it's a nice chin yeah but it's your chin yeah um I guess what I'm getting at is a I'm not sure that uh, home streamed content and that kind of look isn't going to be the new thing, isn't going to be what we prefer after all of this is done. I don't know if going back to uh, glitzy, glamorous, there are 17 cameras in this room is going to feel a bit like extra and over the top. Oh, I don't disagree with you. My question is, is Oprah still enough of that kind of draw where we need her in this sense? Like, essentially, what everybody has become now that we're all in isolation, for those of us or people who are, I still haven't done it yet, but probably I'm going to soon. But for people who are on Instagram, everybody's a vlogger now. Right. right. And Well, it's funny that you say that. Yeah. So everybody's a vlogger. So what is it about, you know, vlogging your story versus being on the phone with Oprah that is going to give this series its added value? Is it that she's going to ask the pointed questions? Because the conceit of the vlog, I mean, I know 
for everybody out there saying, yeah, but nobody tells the truth in their vlogs. Well, yes, the conceit of a vlog, though, is that you are telling your own story. That's also why vlogging became so popular and why vloggers now have more subscribers than celebrities. Right, because it is, uh, it's easier to show the authenticity or harder to hide some of the constructs, right? Like even the setups of the YouTube star of 2017 with a set and a, you know, a ring light are kind of super passe at this point. Um, yeah, moving around and showing your life and the pile of laundry in the corner is kind of part of the game now. So on the one hand, I respect the question, is Oprah enough for this uh, for this format or do we need her? On the other hand, I mean, earlier in this conversation, I said it's hard to have any conversation without having it be about COVID because everything is about COVID, right? Yep. The other thing that I have to say, and this maybe gets a bit conspiracy theory, but it does have to do with the work, is that it's hard to talk about anything COVID without talking about politics. And specifically, what I'm getting at is that when I heard that this was going to be the first episode of Oprah's production output, whatever you want to call it, my very first thought was, oh, somebody high up in government communications was like, who the hell will people actually listen to about staying home? Oprah. You know, it's it's the political landscape is bizarre and disastrous, depending on where you live, right? The information about what you should be doing in terms of taking care of yourself is mixed at best. Who do people trust? That's Oprah. And then that becomes a weird line between being a broadcaster and being some sort of a public health representative. You know what I mean? Well, that's, that is crazy too, because I, I started to agree with you. I'm like, oh yeah, who do people trust? Oprah. And then I thought to myself, wait, but the people that I trust in my demographic are not like what 18 to 29 year olds are into. And that's also why, you know, the U.S. Surgeon General earlier this week made an appeal to influencers like Kylie Jenner to be like, yo, can you encourage your cohort to get off the fucking beach and to stay the fuck home? Because in his mind, it's not the Oprah's that are going to reach the people who need to stay home and who may not be heeding these messages, it's going to be the Justin Bieber's and the Kylie Jenner's. But see, this is where I love this stuff. This is where I'm fascinated by who is handling this uh, situation because I agree with you. I don't think that Oprah is going to have any influence over a spring breaker. Uh, But what I do think is Oprah is still extremely influential within entertainment Ergo, she will be the one whose influence, whose reprimand will uh, make those people agree to take on these considerations. You know what I mean? Like, uh, put it this way. Let's get really real here. If Kylie Jenner gets a call from the White House, I'm not sure she's picking up. I know it's not the White House who's calling, but you know what I mean? The Surgeon General's office, whatever. You know? 
However, if she gets a call from Oprah, I think this may be somebody's strategy, whether or not it's going to work is a different question, is, okay, Idris endorses Oprah. He's giving Oprah the story. Oprah is therefore saying this is important. Now Oprah's going to get on. Like, I mean, Oprah gave shit to Lindsay Lohan. Oprah is Oprah's in the mix. Then Oprah can say, you know, okay, with the Kendall Jenners and the the Dolan twins and the whoever else we don't know, all those people in like Instagram houses in LA. Now you all, because they still love Oprah as their fairy godmother. Now you all tell your people. This is my theoretical thesis about this. Okay, well, I guess we have to see how it plays out for the second episode. Apple is offering Apple is offering this series for free right now since it is a public health concern and in theory Oprah is providing information. It's just so interesting to me that we're in this space where you and I are actually debating whether or not an Oprah show that involves celebrities is going to have value. That is where we're, like, that's where we're at in 2020. Well, I also think it's about who it's for. Uh, look, I have a lot of thoughts about Apple TV in general. And I think that uh, it's not a mystery to anybody who pays attention that part of the difficulty when Apple got into content was that they wanted everything to be nice, which is not necessarily what has been the brand in Hollywood at this time. They may not be that thoughtful about it. They may say, here, Oprah, you tell the olds, because of course, uh, not to be too cavalier, but the other issue is there are a lot of people who are, you know, in a risky demographic who are sort of 70 and above, who don't think it's that much of a big deal, who do trust Oprah. So uh, maybe this is for them. And somewhere there is a, you know, a, a series of TikToks being uh, produced to keep the 16 year olds inside their house and not sharing their jewels anymore. <laughs> when you said jewels, my first thing, this is how like, I'm not the demo was jewelry. And it took me a minute to be like, oh, those jewels. Um, no, they share them. They pass them around. Like maybe you have your own pods, but anyhow, oh my God. don't share jewels. Stay home. <laughs> Stay home, everybody. Practice um, social distancing, physical distancing. But to your point about will this be relevant, the one thing I will say is that uh, the things that have, like the, what this makes me think of is uh Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk, uh, which has done really, really well for what would allegedly be a somewhat outdated platform, has a lot of moments of highs and lows of, you know, cutesy girl talk and then deep, deep sort of like digging in for the stuff, right? That kind of uh, intermittent reinforcement was what made Oprah's show so great. Today we're having fun. Today we're going super serious. Today we're going inside a prison cell, but tomorrow we're shopping for bras. So I don't know whether something that is continually uh, serious like this is going to allow her to show off her range. Mm -hmm. That would be my only concern. 
Then again, Oprah stopped doing the Oprah show low these many years ago because she was tired of the light stuff. So maybe it works. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So staying with the theme of fresh ideas or a new reality for entertainment, here's one where we don't have to debate. This next um, superstar, so to speak, um, who is, yeah, giving and coming up with a form of entertainment during isolation and social distancing, like a winner across the board, right? Uh, yeah, look, I was going to say to you that I, you know, I think I'm pretty cool. I also know there's a ton of stuff I don't know about. and I'm pretty at peace with that. But I really was anxious for a while about how much I didn't like Instagram or how much I couldn't connect with it. This next story is the is what made me fall in love with Instagram. And actually, I think it's what the platform was made for. Well, and this is, I mean, this is everything show your work, right? This is someone who is, has been doing what he's doing forever. So the actual skill involved hasn't changed. He hasn't had to add anything to his toolbox in that sense, like technically. Um, but it's also, as you said, exploiting or using, squeezing the most juice out of a platform and having it just blow up at the ex like exact right time. So of course we're talking about DJ D-Nice. And the quarantine, uh, what was the hashtag? Club quarantine. Club quarantine. Uh, he has been DJing for hours on end each night. Uh, and literally uh, what happened was, and I'm sure you were there, I'm sure everybody was there, that people were like, everybody was at this party, right? Everybody was watching him spin like old school hip hop and funk and tunes you hadn't heard in a long time. And it felt like a party. It felt like, hey, everybody's here. And as I said, his actual job and performance wouldn't change from where he normally DJs. Like he would go to a party in person and he'd set up his tunes and he'd shout some people out, hey, keep the party going. What's up, everybody? You're here at this club or that club. My name is DJ Nice. I'm here on Saturdays or whatever. He still did those shout outs. He still yeah. played the music. Except that, of course, he was watching the guest list of who joined his Instagram live and kept being like, yo, Taraji P. Henson, what's <laughs> up? Kadeem Hardison, different world, hi. Everybody in the world, give or take, was at this, uh, was at this party. Well, what I also love is that you can see the counter for how many people are on at a time, right? So at one point it peaked 
um, it went over 100,000 people. I think it was like 106,000. I'm not sure if that was the total peak. That was just the peak of, like, I mean, I spent, I think, two and a half hours on there. And that was the peak when I was on there. Um, And, you know, people dipped in and out. But, and eventually, like, I think the lowest it got to when I was on was 65. But sometimes it would go from 65 to 90 in like five minutes. Right. Because what happened was that people were posting on other platforms OMG, I'm at a party with uh, Tina Knowles was a big one that uh, got a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, at some point, uh, Michelle Obama showed up. And there's actually, he uh, said something really endearing about it. Um, Yeah, so right before this, uh, Mary J. Blige had been there, Gabrielle Union, Alicia Keys, Tiffany Haddish. Again, when I say there, I mean just watching his stories and partying at home. And then uh, Michelle Obama joined on 10 p.m. on Saturday night. And uh, even though uh, he had DJed at the Obama White House before, he goes, I don't know why I'm nervous, but he's so nervous because he knows that the former first lady is watching. Do we say former first lady? The president is still Mr. President. I don't know, because they keep referring to Joe Biden as Vice President Joe Biden. Well, and, and you you always call... Obama, Mr. President. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. She's first lady. <laughs> so on Sunday night, he passed the torch to Questlove, who did kind of a, a slow jam set on his Instagram page. And it is, it's kind of amazing how easily they've been able to adapt the platform or something like this. And let's be clear, like they're not the first ones to have an Instagram party, but they're the first ones where it hit. D-Nice is the first one where it hit maximum density in the way it's supposed to. Well, that's actually why he, and let us know, uh, everybody listening, um, if there are some technical things that uh, we're getting wrong here, but that's actually why he kept saying this is history because typically on an IG live, you can only, you can only go an hour. So he had to keep restarting it. But I think what happened was when Instagram realized how popular club quarantine was, they gave him like a special thing on his account where he could keep going continuously. And then I'm, I'm sure everybody has heard about, or, you know, people who are familiar with what D-Nice was doing, um, Mark Zuckerberg, he was shouting out Zuckerberg too, but um, Mark Zuckerberg was apparently coming in and out, um, almost like, Yeah, that you know, felt less cool. <laughs> it felt less cool, but I did read from, I think it was Jelani Cobb at The New Yorker who wrote that it was almost as though Zuckerberg was like the club owner coming in to take a walk around to see that, you know, the lights were still off or on and the taps were still working or whatever, um, that that's what the equivalent of, of, of his visits were. And so, yeah, like when we talk about how, um, you know, using a platform to its full capability uh, and what D-Nice did, in fact, it he stretched its capability and then the platform realizing, oh shit, like this is, uh, you know, even we didn't envision that this was possible for our platform. 
then they quickly made an adjustment to allow it to, to continue. Like all kinds of great work shit was happening here. Yeah. And look, as we are recording, he is live once again. And as we speak, there are, as we speak, there are mere 30,000 viewers, uh, but it's early, especially on the West Coast where he is. I have no doubt that it will pick up. But, you know, we've been talking about this, about format changes and so forth. What else do we think this could lend itself to? Well, I don't know that this is actually something that's entirely, I mean, yes, it is new with today's technology, but it is tapping into something that used to happen a long time ago, many, many years ago, especially with, you know, the invention of radio. And back in the past, you know, families used to gather around that thing. What is it called? The gramophone or whatever? Oh, you mean like the wireless? Yeah, right? Yeah. You see the old timey pictures and everybody used to gather around the radio to listen to certain stories. Um, you know, we we all know that famous that famous um uh that famous radio program. It was oh god, what's his name? Orson Welles? Um Do you mean like the shadow? No, it was when Orson Welles did his radio program and they were just like kind of performing a story. They were reading it was it the attack on Mars? Or Marshall. Oh, I, I um, see. Yeah, uh, in term- radio plays. Yes, sure. Yes. Was it was like uh, Mars Attacks or something like that? Not Mars Attacks, but um, maybe not that one. But yes, yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds. That's what it was, and people were listening to it all at the same time, and then everybody like fucking freaked out, right? Because they thought that actually Martians were attacking the planet, and in those days. Even though you didn't know by name everybody who was listening at the same time as you, you knew that this is just what people did. That was, I don't know, um, what do you call it? That was at a time when we could still call things monoculture. And we still had monoculture up until about, what, 15 years ago when entertainment became a lot more fragmented. And so I think that what happened the other night or what has been happening with D-Nice is a tap-in or at least a whiff of monoculture that people quite miss. I think that that's one of the reasons why Game of Thrones had the draw that it did because it had been such a long time since all of us watched the TV show that we all watched on the same night at the same time. Nine o'clock Sunday nights for eight weeks in April and May, everybody had to be in front of the TV. There's something really special about that kind of a feeling. And so I think what D-Nice is doing is there's a nostalgia there. This is actually what people used to do. I mean, A, yes, I agree with you. And it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that what you're talking about, about, uh, you know, radio programs that everybody gathered around to hear, uh, were also in times of intense stress. We're also in times, uh, like in war times, you know, when people couldn't go out necessarily, like during the Blitz in London, the radio still worked when almost nothing else did, including the roads and streets sometimes. Um, Because I think the other part of it, I agree with everything you're saying, but the reason this is hitting such maximum density is because for the first time in the longest time, everybody is craving the same thing. 
find me the biggest, most grumpy introvert that you know, the like misanthropiest person you know, and everybody wants to be in a crowd of people right now. And that's not appropriate and it's not feasible. But what D-Nice is doing is allowing the fantasy, right? He's shouting out everybody to make you feel like you're in the same room. He's playing everything that makes you feel, or people like me, for whom those are the original hits, the, the best of all time, to make you feel like, A, you're young, B, you're right there in it. It's not stopping. It's not a, yeah, it's not an hour or even a, you know, a 10-minute set. It's like, no, I can actually believe that I'm immersing myself in this experience. So it's one of those things of, Sorry, uh, some people hate this phrase, apparently, but giving people exactly what they need right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, but not that sorry. Anyway, if you guys haven't, check in on D-Nice's Instagram. Join the Instagram live. I don't know, whatever you're doing while you're walking, while you're out walking, maintaining six feet of distance between you and the next walker, um, while you're... Or prepping tonight's meal because that's what everybody's doing right everybody's going nuts cooking all of a sudden uh whatever the option is but uh we will probably see you there that's the thing uh is that it's uh it's one of those things where yeah when you have 30,000 50,000 100,000 people at the same time it does give the opportunity for you to feel like you're part of something bigger. The other thing that I think is really interesting is that uh, we're recording on Monday and uh, the IOC, the Olympic Committee, just officially announced that uh, the Olympics have been delayed. And I'm looking at your face and you look just so heartbroken. I know how important the Olympics are to you, but I think that this is going to be the sign of things to come is what else can there be like this that makes us feel all united, even though we are so obviously isolated and in our bubbles? I Listen, I love the Olympics, and I think you love the Olympics on certain days. Like on gymnastics day, I can't get you to pay attention to me. That's, that's <laughs> a true fact. Yes, that's true. Also swimming. Also, I'm not trying to pay attention to you on gymnastics or swimming day either. Um, that said, it was inevitable, had to have happened. Um, and so, yeah, on, on the day that a collective sort of global experience has been canceled, we have emerging, as you're mentioning, Duanna, another collective and immersive global experience just in a very different way. But it's giving people, as you said, that feeling, that feeling of connection that everybody is craving right now. I mean, it's a classic you know, when something is taken away from you, you want it the most. A hundred percent. Tell us what else is making you feel this way. Are you doing a massive book club? Are you doing one of those Netflix co-watch things where everybody presses play at the same time uh, and doing that on Twitter or somewhere else online? And finally, I, I want to do something here because... Just because, you know, we're social distancing and we're trying to collectively save each other from infection doesn't mean that we have to not be bitchy now and again. (laughs) 
So I'm sorry. Wait, I, I I'm not sure I understand the link from A to B, but whatever. I'm along for the ride. Go ahead. I would like to call these five final moments, these five final minutes of our episode, a five minute dump. I'd like to take a five minute dump. I have no idea where this could be going, but please, I have bated breath. Well, I'd like to take a five minute dump on the two people known as D and D. That Dean would be Dan Caton. No, the Dolan twins. No. Uh, uh, okay. Um, uh, I I got nothing. DB Weiss and Dan uh, Bennett. Right. right. Who calls them D and D? Oh my God! Like Game of Thrones nerds. Of course, because Dungeons are whatever. Okay, fine. So yes, these are the two creator showrunners of Game of Thrones. That's who, right. Who, as far as I was concerned, I thought they were still like hiding on the Cayman Islands from angry people. Okay. So what happened on Sunday night is the latest episode of Westworld aired. Right. The the because we're into season three now of Westworld. We're yeah, we are into season three of Westworld. The second episode just aired, and spoiler alert, uh, D&D were trending. Well, they were trending along with Drogon um, immediately I after. So I'm already annoyed. I feel that you've hijacked this podcast. I'm so mad. It's a five-minute dump. Fine, go. Anyway, so I'm not going to describe the scene, but they show up. They make a cameo with Drogon on Westworld. And it was basically interpreted, and there's no other way of reading it, as a fuck you to people who were like, you fucked the ending of Game of Thrones. So, in other words, uh, the Game of Thrones finale aired in, what, May of 2019? Uh, was it that long ago? No. Uh, I- yes, May, yes. Right. And so let's say for the sake of argument that's, that the early parts of Westworld would have been shot in maybe uh, June, July. Uh, so, yeah, definitely enough time to react, to agree to a cameo uh, on another HBO show and thumb their noses at, uh, okay, sure, that's going to endear them to people. Or even, like, pitch themselves, right? Like them they it could it's very possible that they picked up the phone and like called up Westworld and were like hey wouldn't be funny if we did this because everybody's crabbing on us and haha fuck you let us like give the middle finger anyway the reason why I wanted to bring this up and take a five minute dump on them which is now we only have three minutes left which is fine is the last time we talked about them remember it was when they were doing this interview at um I think some sort of festival and you and I talked about the fact that they admitted that they didn't know what they were doing. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. I think it was the Austin TV Festival. Yeah. And yeah, they talked about how they didn't know what they were doing, A, when the show was greenlit, B, when they were first adapting, uh, C, when they were waiting for George R. R. Martin to show them the way and then discovered that he was not going to show them the way, that he was taking the money and running. Yeah. I... And I think that this this is where I'm trying to relate it to what we do on this show. None of us can expect to have any work that we do be universally acclaimed. And so 
during the time when people were writing petitions about Game of Thrones, I like, you know, people were like, Lainey, sign this petition. And I was like, first of all, no, like that, that is not my style. Sorry, pause, please. <laughs> what was the petition for? There were a lot of people who put out this petition or who wanted a petition for HBO to completely scrap the last two seasons and to have a do-over. Guys, that's not a thing. No, I know. Like, I, I know, but it, I just want to, I'm not trying to like nitpick your lack of signing a petition, but you cannot, like, that's not a thing. You can sign a petition for a show to be brought back if it's been canceled and maybe somebody will hear you. You can sign a petition to not have something happen. And in fact, uh, Benioff and Weiss were supposed to do, remember there was going to be that show Confederate yeah. that was announced on HBO about what if the Confederate side had won in the American Civil War. There was such outrage and critic critique about it that in fact it did go away. But you cannot have a petition to redo a series. That's just not how it works. Redo like fiscally. a final series season of a series. Anyway, whatever. So, it you know all those petitions also ignored the fact that there were a lot of people who worked really hard, right? Crew members, production staff, actors, and we talked about it last time when we talked about D and D that you know it was the actors who are going out and almost defending their work. And then what they ended up going out there and defending and really putting themselves on the line for were two people who actually didn't do the work. Uh, yeah, and who had the audacity to admit as much. And then now have the extra audacity to go and like mock all of that on a different show <laughs> to either pitch themselves or make themselves available and make one of the characters, essentially Drogon, of the show available to almost like thumb your nose. Now, here's the thing. It hurts extra bad when you try really hard and you think it's the best you can do. What's insulting here is that they clearly didn't do their best. That's why they don't care. Well, or I was going to say that I was going to sort of caveat what you said and say that, I'll be honest, criticism hurts if it's from people that I care about. Um, if there are people who I respect who think I missed the mark somewhere, that hurts. Absolutely. But if it's a crab online who exists only to crab about things, then mm, I care less. What I find the worst about this, uh, thumbing the nose, as you put it, is that it implies that they don't care about their viewers, about their fans. And that's the people that they should care the most about. You don't want to cater to them per se, but why rub their noses in it? I'm not sure I understand that move. Anyway, that's um, my five-minute dump on D&D once again. For those of you who watch Westworld and Game of Thrones and saw the crossover. Um, and also, P.S., talk about short-sightedness or whatnot, because however long ago they filmed this, they somehow thought that all these months later, to your point, Duanna, that we would still care. Um, so yes, they have now put themselves back in the conversation for something that people hated them for. It's just so stupid, like on every fucking level. And then of course you have to be a particular type of fan to even know who they were. A lot of people are going to watch Westworld and be like, who are those two random dudes? Why are they here getting all this screen time? Get us back to Dolores. Anyway, 
Uh, that is a five-minute dump. It's the first time we've done it. Maybe next time I'll have another person I want to take a five-minute dump on. Um, but I'm quite liking, uh, I'm quite liking that, um, little feature I just dropped on you. I just dumped on you, Duanna. <laughs> I, I like the concept. We're going to workshop the name. I'm not <laughs> sure about the segment title. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening and caring. Uh, we've gotten so much feedback from you over the last few days about the podcast and that means so much to us. So we are trying to produce um, two episodes a week for the foreseeable future. If you have story ideas, definitely send them to us and send us your comments so we can read them. Cannot wait to hear what other undiscovered gems you've been using to get through this. I got a great tip from somebody and if it pans out, I will tell you about it on the next episode. Cannot wait to dig into that. Keep us posted. Let us know. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave comments and reviews, and we will be back soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.